Friends, let us pray. Lord, in this season, we are aware of our many failings. We are aware of how far we have traveled from you. So we invite you to stir our hearts that we might turn and return to you, that we might lay hold of the abundant life that you desire for each of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you please be seated? I normally like to be up here, but it looks like our altar's a little further forward, and I wasn't willing to take the chance, so I'm down here. And, you know, I do it because I'm short, but you guys are sitting during my sermon, so it's really, we're on an, a level playing field at this point. Today is the first Sunday of Lent. As we embark on our Lenten journey, the lectionary sends us back to the very beginning of Scripture, to Genesis. The Genesis stories are our family stories. They are the stories of our people, and they're the stories that we've told over all of these years to understand our relationship with God and with one another. Some of these stories are inspiring, and they make us proud. Some are hopeful. Some remind us of where we've fallen short. All of them are gathered up to accompany us on our Lenten journey toward the cross. And so as we begin this solemn adventure, it's appropriate to start with a story of how our relationship with God became broken. In popular parlance, this is the story of the fall. Because the story of Adam and Eve and the serpent in the garden is very familiar to us, I want to start by clearing our minds, as it were, of some common misconceptions. First, and somewhat basically, the kind of fruit is never mentioned. Over the years, an apple has been used to illustrate the fruit that tempted Eve and then Adam. This might not matter a lot to our understanding of the story, but it seems important to set the record straight, especially on behalf of maligned apples everywhere. <laughs> Second, the serpent is not an embodiment of the devil. There is nothing in the account that indicates that. All we're told is that the serpent was more crafty than the other wild animals. But it was still an animal. The serpent is really a foil to expose the interior conversations that we have with ourselves. The reason it's important that we not give the serpent an outsized role in this story is because it feeds our natural tendency to find someone to blame. And if you doubt our almost knee-jerk desire to find blame outside of ourselves, just look at our story. When confronted by God, Adam blames Eve. Eve, in her turn, blames the serpent. If we're able to blame our mistakes and our failings on someone or something outside of ourselves, we don't have to take responsibility for them. Or to honestly look at what is happening within us that led to our mistake or our failing. At any point, the serpent could have been told that he was full of it and please go bother someone else. But there was already something within we humans that was suspicious of the limits of God and whether they were actually for our good or not. Third, and perhaps most importantly, this is not a story of Eve going bad and then wanting to drag Adam down with her so that she'd have an accomplice with which to spread the risk. 
This misreading has been the most damaging over the years. It's really not an exaggeration to say that that reading of this story has led to the subjugation of women, to viewing women as tempters who have to be covered up, resisted, managed. There are still strands of Christianity that hold and teach this understanding, and so it is extremely damaging and dangerous to women. Did you notice how in our reading for today, it begins in chapter two, and there's just a few verses there, and then it jumps to chapter three, where the meat of the story is told. That's where most of it is. This is because the prescription that God gave about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was made to Adam in that first brief section before Eve was created. God gave the don't eat from the tree rule to Adam. Eve wasn't even present. So anything that Eve knew of God's limitations in the garden came from Adam. It was secondhand information. And Eve didn't go off to find Adam to have him taste the fruit once she had tasted. Adam was standing next to her the whole time. Scripture tells us she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. <laughs> Adam is present for the whole exchange between Eve and the serpent. He never contradicts her. He doesn't push back on any of the serpent's statements. He doesn't suggest that the two of them get away from this creature that would foment this doubt in God. He stands there in silence, and then he participates with Eve in eating the forbidden fruit. With that backstory... Let's look at what this important origin story is telling us about God and about our relationship with God. This beginning of Genesis tells us that when God created humanity, male and female, he gave us three gifts. The first gift is life itself. It is a gift so sacred, so valuable that we are to treasure and respect it always. And as unique and wonderful as human life is, God also gave life to plants and animals, setting in motion a, a complex interrelated ecosystem of mutual care and stewardship. The second gift God gave us is meaningful work. The first line from today's passage says, God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. Work is not a consequence of being put out of the garden. Pre-fall, work is part of God's plan for humanity. And although we might not always see work as a gift, we do understand that life must have purpose. Our lives are diminished when we doubt that we're making a contribution, that our efforts are part of a greater good. This year, the Rector's Bible study has been looking at the life of King David. David became more and more separated from God. He became more estranged from his family members. He began making poor moral decisions when he no longer had to go out to battle or to secure the land or to set up a united government. It was when David was idle that things started to go terribly wrong. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with folks who are newly retired or contemplating retirement. They wonder and worry what they will do with themselves. 
Thankfully, there are many causes and agencies, many right here through St. Michael and All Angels that are in need of our gifts, whatever stage and age of life. We understand that it's hard for us to flourish if we're not contributing to our families or to our communities. We are created to have purposeful work in our lives. The third gift is the one that has proved most problematic for humanity. God gave us the gift of freedom. Freedom, that is, within limits. You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you shall die. There is something about we humans that cannot accept being told this far and no further. If a limit is imposed, we itch to challenge it. Like children, we want the one thing that we can't have. We have only to observe toddlers to see how powerful is the urge to be in control and to test limits. How often have we watched our children brazenly, defiantly, cross a line, touching the hot stove, turning over their dinner onto the floor, running out into the street. And we could wax poetic about the continual challenges of life with teenagers. We try and share the hard-won wisdom of our experiences in the hopes of saving them from the same painful lessons. But rarely does this take. It seems every generation needs to test the limits for themselves. God gave human beings the gift of freedom within limits, and it has been the most difficult gift of all. There is something within us that desires total control, that wants to be our own God. Regardless of all the gifts that God has given us, all the freedom he has bestowed upon us, all the provision he has made for us, all the security with which he covers us, we always want more. God gives us free will so that we can choose to be in relationship with him. It's not real relationship if we don't have the freedom to assent or not from our side. And what God desires more than anything is real relationship with us. Like any good parent, he wants us to see that the few prescriptions that he lays out for us are for our own good, that we might thrive and flourish and live in harmony with him and with one another and with all of creation. And yet, like the prodigal son, there is that within us which pushes back against all of this love and provision. There is something in our condition that compels us to set out on our own path, creating our own adventure. If we do so, we will eventually arrive at a place where we look around and see how far we have gotten from a life that brings us wholeness and purpose and peace. And that is when we begin our journey back to God, who waits with arms outstretched to welcome us home. There will always 
be something within us that desires to push back on anything we see as a limit to our freedom. The genius of the serpent was that his question fixated on one small limit instead of the bounteous freedom that was life in the garden. An idyllic life was forever changed by the consequences of grasping for equality with God. But the good news is that even as this struggle continues within each of us, it has been won for us in the person and work of Jesus. While we continue to grasp for equality with God, Paul tells us, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, our limit testing is finally resolved by acknowledging our human limitations and our total dependence on the love and grace of God. In the end, God did not punish those first disobedient humans with instant death, as he had declared. Instead, God entered a history-long project to redeem them, to redeem us. This is the great extent of his love for us that culminates in Jesus Christ. In the redeeming work of Jesus, we are able to return to the love and compassion of God who gave us the gifts of life, of work, and of freedom within limits. Amen.